Welcome to the Natural History Cupboard. Come on in. And welcome back to the Natural History Cupboard podcast, the place where the wonderful and weird parts of the natural world come together. I'm your host, Gareth, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Drew. No Aaron this week still, but we also don't have a guest host for him this week because we have a guest with us who will be coming up later, and that is Dr. Erica McAllister, fly fanatic and fly expert with a fantastic fly-based interview. All the Fs there. But uh, Drew, are you ready to go? Yes. You didn't tell me to say hi, so I, I just... No, I know I didn't. I, I, just, sat, so I just sat quietly. <laughs> I got very excited. You did, yeah. And rightly so. Flies uh, all over the place. I'm loving it. Not actually in here. There aren't too many flies in here. So, uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll launch into the news and then we will hop into our interview for this week where we've got loads of fly questions and fly-based answers. Okay, so we're now into this week's news, uh, and Drew is going to, well, he's going to tell us all about a tortoise. I am. Well, there were a few news articles this week that I wanted to do. I narrowed it down to three, but it was hard to choose between them. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to give a very brief account of two of them before going into a bit more detail with the third. I know this is... This is unheard of, Drew. This is, Yeah. But here we go. So the first article brief is about a Devonshire farmer really keen on rewilding and his great idea of placing roadkill on sky tables. So basically a table is a little bit higher off the ground than a regular table for birds of prey and other carrion eaters to, to come down mm. and come down and eat it. It seems like a really good idea. Lots of birds or other animals try to snatch up roadkill and, you know, obviously it's dangerous because well, it died there. So you know, potentially coming down and grabbing food, though, also means that you're in you're at risk too. So placing it somewhere where it could be consumed and returned to the food chain seems like a, a bit of a winner to me. But yeah, do feel free to read into that a little bit more. Uh, it's on the Guardian website uh, that particular article. But yeah, if you're well, interested we'll, in that, go have a look. We'll post that one up as well. Yeah, I'll try and remember to post that up too. The second article was about pine martens in the New Forest. Uh, that's in Hampshire in South England. Uh, this is news that a viable population of pine martens in the south of England has been confirmed. Uh, so they're, they're basically they're doing really well. And they're the first in the south of England for over a century. Pine martens are pretty much... From? Have they just been... Yeah, so I think... Used or have they just turned up like the beavers did? I'm yeah. not 100% sure. So from what I could get, what I could gather from it is that there have been pine martens in the new forest since maybe sort of the 2000s or the 90s or late 90s. But it hasn't really been a very big population, so it hasn't. I don't know if it's really been sustaining itself. Although clearly, it seems to have been because they're now there's enough of them in the, uh, there now for it to be a, an actual properly self self sustaining population. Fantastic news. Yeah, uh, just for context as well for anyone, particularly overseas, who doesn't know what pine martin is. They are they're mustelids, so they're related to otters, weasels, badgers, wolverines, etc. Three weasels. <laughs> Three weasels. Yeah, and they're they're, they're awesome. But yeah, again, have a deeper delve into that if uh, if you want. 
really, really good news. Uh, we need carnivores. We need carnivores to keep ecosystems healthy. So mm. more pine martins is uh, is always good. But the article that I wanted to talk about properly uh, that I'm going to cover this week is titled Giant Tortoise Filmed Hunting and Killing Bird in Horrifying Footage. <laughs> um, I will just quickly say I watched the footage because I'm a sadist and it's it's not that horrifying I'll be honest it's uh, it's just journalistic flair that to be honest it motive guff to get a reaction basically an aldabra tortoise bites a noddy turns head and the oh. chick dies almost instantaneously so yeah I mean it's it's not horrific does it but, eat him? yeah it, it doesn't show it in the video but the camera person said, yeah, it, it ate it afterwards. I mean, it gives testimony to the power of a, a tortoise's bite. Oh, they yes. They bite hard. They bite hard. They've got a very um, sharp beak. <laughs> yes. And this is this is a big tortoise. Aldabras are second only to the Galapagos giant tortoises. Very, very pretty tortoise, too. So the article starts by saying, tortoises are widely considered to be plodding placid herbivores, but new footage of a giant of the species... Hunting, killing, and eating a bird has taken scientists by surprise. I'm honestly not sure if that's the case. I don't. In terms of this, so. in terms of the surprise, I, I don't. I mean, this isn't really a surprise to me. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a dum dum. I'm no scientist, so I, I, I wouldn't have said this is out of the ordinary. Well, I know I've seen at least two like groups of photos of, of different tortoises, both mm. eating meat. One was a, uh, a Herman's or a possibly a Horsefields eating a dead rabbit. Yep. Uh, the other one was uh, an African species of tortoise. I can't remember which one now eating a dead bird. Neither yeah. of them had had chased their prey down, but uh, were being opportunistic in, uh, well, in taking on a bit of, you know, extra protein. Yes. And is it is it is red footed tortoises as well that are they were more yeah. more known for eating carrion? Yep. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not out of the ordinary. It's just the first time that this specific species has been documented doing this. But the next segment of the article says, uh, researchers on Frigate Island in the Seychelles have captured for the first time the moment when a Seychelles giant tortoise, so that's an Aldabra, uh, turned into a violent predator, pursuing, <laughs> attacking, and eating a turn chick. I'd um, like my. I'd like to think I could get away from that violent attack. I mean, again, it's it's <laughs> sensualization, isn't it? it? I mean, it's not a violent, it's not a violent predator. <laughs> the the tortoise. Yeah, you feel free to watch the video. You know, if you don't want to watch stuff like that, then then don't. So I will sort of describe it. But the tortoise moves slowly, uh, as tortoises are wont to do. That's not to say that tortoises always move slowly because they can. They can get a move on if they want to, but it moves slowly towards the turn. It is a chick, and I mean, the chick doesn't really know what's going on, and it, it bites its head, and it's it pretty much dead instantaneously, uh, or it seems to be. Anyway, sort of picking on the semantics aside, uh, because we just could rip into the words used in this article the whole way through. It is interesting behavior, but I don't want people to necessarily think it's unique. For one, the article goes on to say that other tortoises have been seen engaging in the similar behavior since this. It says they were all previously thought to be vegetarian. Uh, I don't think that's the case necessarily either. Sort of obligate herbivores are extremely rare. Mm. And then the article contradicts that and proves my point basically by saying that the tortoises have seen uh, have been seen eating carrion bones or snail shells. So it's not a vegetarian then. 
So experts are suggesting this behavior is, uh, is occurring uh, due to the rise of large scale habitat restoration on the private island, which is managed for ecotourism. And it's enabled seabirds to recolonize it. And now there's a colony of 265,000 noddy terns. The ground beneath the trees where the colony is nesting is listed with fish, as well as chicks that have fallen from the nest too. I will just say as well, noddy terns are completely new to me. I didn't know about these guys. No? No, I googled them. I mean, they are sleek AF. They're oh, really they're nice birds. Very pretty looking birds. They're really pretty. I've I um, got to admit that Frigate Island is one of those places I've always wanted to go to. Apart from the fact that it's exceedingly expensive to go there. Oh, yes. Like, I imagine so. It, it, it puts it in a in a league of you know you you going on your super yacht sort of thing, but I want to go there to go and see the frigate island beetles, mm. uh, enid snails, <laughs> stuff that most people wouldn't even consider. Of course, enid snails are from there. Yes, yeah, they're from the Seychelles. They're from well, yeah, yeah frigate island. So yeah, yeah, well, exactly here. Yeah, we'll call it island. Anyway, just quickly back to the article. Uh, the researchers said that in most places. Potential prey were too fast or agile to be caught by the giant tortoises, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, but they suggested that the way the tortoises approach the chick on the log uh, in this video suggests that this type of interaction happens frequently. That's quoted. And it ends with Dr. Justin Gerlach, who's led the study, saying, these days, Frigate Island's combination of tree nesting terns and giant po- uh, tortoise populations is unusual. But our observation highlights that when ecosystems are restored, totally unexpected interactions between species may appear. Things that probably happened commonly in the past, but we've never seen before. And I think that end statement is really, really important Mm. because we're seeing this sort of behavior because of a restored ecosystem. This isn't rare. This is probably how it should be. Yeah. Uh, And it's only because it's been restored that we're seeing it. As I said, this isn't necessarily unique for tortoises, really. Horses, cows, sheep, deer, they've all been seen. Uh, and or recorded eating meat whether it be a baby bird or something eating a carcass there's a video out there of a horse just eating a bit of hay and a little chick runs along a little little chicken and uh it just disappears it's gone i've seen a cow eat a chicken yep there we go yeah everything is basically an opportunistic carnival everything almost (laughs) (laughs) given a chance that tortoise out there will hunt you down. Just think, if you break your leg, you, yeah, you've got no way out. You know, it's coming yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. You could be... Um, Gareth, what's her name again? Earhart. What's her Amelia Earhart. You yeah. could be, yeah, Amelia you could be Amelia Earhart. And <laughs> just not this time with crabs. Crash-landed. <laughs> Crash-landed on Frigate Island and the tortoises descend. Possible idea for rubbish horror film. So <laughs> anyway, we'll go on from your your tortoise thing. I've actually got something very similar. I had um I was thinking I had some some reptile based footage that I thought would be worth reporting on. Certainly worth at least mentioning. There was a a video of a fantastic bit of good samaritanism from if that's even a word. Um coming out of uh, America, we're at a petting zoo there was an alligator that managed to bite onto the keeper's arm and a a good Samaritan jumped in and basically did a very good job at helping her escape with her arm intact uh, and everything. Um, But uh, we'll try and put the the video up for that. But that's not my article. I've gone with um, one from The Independent also. And this is also another one where they've inflated the 
inflated the title to make it seem more appealing than it actually is when to be honest the actual article itself is is good enough it's scientists in china discover two new massive dinosaur species as big as a blue whale mm. it's already it's already pulling big punches there yeah, uh, but two sentences in uh, i will read this exact bit the two new species of massive dinosaurs in china almost as big as a blue whale oh <laughs> Which these two species of new sauropods, so that's the long neck dinosaurs being found in China, are well, they're pretty big. They go up to 20 meters in length. That's a big animal. But mm-hmm. blue whales get from 23 meters to 30 meters in length. So it's still off by quite a way. So blue whales are still that's the largest. Again, isn't it? Somewhat. Exactly. It's still the largest creature on the planet. But uh, apparently, the only way you can get people to be interested in. Uh, in 120 million year old species of giant dinosaur is to make them bigger than they are. But the research published in the journal Scientific uh, Reports basically analyzed these different fossils uh, that have come out of China's northwestern regions. One, and I'm going to try not to butcher this, one in Xinjiang. And, seems fine. Yeah, that seems fine. And <laughs> the Turpenhami Basin. So basically parts of of northwestern China, uh, which is on the edge of the Silk Road into okay. Mongolia. Oh. So, you know, it's 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 an area that hasn't really been heavily looked into <laughs> for a lot of things. So, yeah, this is helping to increase the the diversity um, of the the species of dinosaurs found on the Asian continent. I mean, to be honest, China's got a pretty extensive list of dinosaurs most of them small theropods but um these ones are certainly some of the larger ones the two species that have been named are called silua titan sinensis which silua comes from the silk road in mandarin um in reference to where it's found mm-hmm. and sinensis means chinese basically in, in, in Latin. synth instruments <laughs> yeah it's an 80s kind. dinosaur <laughs> Well, the the best way to think about it is Cynoceratops, um, okay. which is uh, a an Asian. Well, it's a Chinese species of ceratopsian dinosaur, and that means Chinese horned face. So, uh, okay. but that's not one of these species. That one's been discovered for quite a while now. The other one is Hamilotitan jingjangensis, uh, and it's a nod to the region where they have been found. So the uh, the species, like I say, were over twenty meters long, uh, and they they well they range from seventeen to twenty meters in length, which falls quite short of a of a blue whale, even though it seems to keep repeating that in the article that uh, that they're close to the size of a blue whale. So are many different dinosaurs, but um, two species yeah. of dinosaurs discovered that blue whales don't want you to know about. <laughs> That's what they should have titled the article. Number two will shock you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they're from the early Cretaceous period, about 120 to 130 million years ago. And, um, well, they also then include the, they belong to the sauropod family, a group which includes plant-eating dinosaurs with characteristic long necks. Some were the largest animals to have roamed the planet, which is such an oversimplification of sauropods. It's, <laughs> it's a little insulting to sauropods. But... Um, yeah, the uh, the fossils were uncovered in places where the vertebrae are not common, basically, and increase that sort of count for those large animals in that part of China. And like I say, most of the, the, the dinosaurs that have been found in China 
are usually smaller ones, some absolutely stunning specimens of, of small theropod dinosaurs. And they're actually the first vertebrates reported in this region of China uh, and, well, obviously give them a new dinosaur to, uh, to or two new dinosaurs uh, for them to study from this particular region. Uh, and it's, uh, it then goes on to say, while China has experienced a surge in the discovery of new dinosaur fossils, offering more clues to the diversity of the giant reptiles, they said there is still a debate over the relationships between these particular species and their classification. So it's still open to uh, to where these ones particularly sit in the, the sauropod family tree. And that can be essentially because a lot of the time you find very little of the animal. And as far as I'm aware, there aren't very many bits of the head, which is one of those sort of defining characteristics. And in fact, in looking into this and looking into other sauropods as well, there are remarkably few sauropod skulls that have been found over the years. Um, and it's because they have such light, delicate skulls. They have such huge bones throughout the rest of their body, but their skulls are comparatively small, delicate. And um, after reading a particular paper um, about why there aren't so many sauropod skulls out there, I know this is going very much off the, uh, the track, but it, I thought certainly worth mentioning. One paper mentioned the fact that if you imagine a sauropod and it's dying, it's going to fall over. It's got that long neck and it's just going to face plant the ground. And you imagine uh, a 20 meter long animal face planting the ground with that amount of force. It's probably going to smash its face in. Uh, yeah. It falls over to die. So um, it's probably a good reason why there aren't so many of them uh, around. But uh, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see if there's any more information comes out about them and um, their relationship to other sauropods as well. Oh, yeah. Does it, does it also specify if these sauropods were actually violent predators? <laughs> Whether they were very slowly hunting down small birds. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't know that we haven't got the heads, so we don't know that they're like, the sauropod heads to me seem like Hoover attachments. Uh, <laughs> certainly Nigerosaurus does yeah <laughs> yeah. Are they, uh, we can't find the head so we don't know we don't know what the teeth is like they could have long serrated teeth well you know what I think just like tortoises they would have probably you know eaten the odd small dinosaur if they oh, thought for sure. yeah, why not Yeah. I mean if you're the biggest thing around nothing's going to stop you yeah. so uh, yeah I think they probably if anything I think sauropods killed more dinosaurs probably by accidentally stepping on them them by eating them oh. okay so we'll now go from our news articles there about uh, tortoises eating birds and alligator alligators not eating people and sauropods probably stepping on things as well uh into our interview uh, and like i say this week we are very pleased to welcome uh, onto the podcast um dr erica McAllister, who's going to tell us all she can about flies and some of the amazing things that they do very cool so let's head on in to our interview room. It's time for the interview room. Right, well, uh, now we're into our interview room uh, section of the podcast. And this week, we've got a real treat. We have with us fly expert and fly fanatic, Dr. Erica McAllister, um, who is an entomologist at to the Natural History Museum, and I believe you're the curator of Diptera, uh, and also a wildlife presenter as well. So, hello, Dr. Erica. 
Hello, folk. So uh, first off, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and, and why flies? What, what get, got you into uh, this uh, often misunderstood group of insects? So, I mean, why, why, why anyone should like flies is very obvious. But I will go through a pretense that some people don't like them. So they make a huge portion of the world's biota. So you can't move for insects. And I think it's about time we stopped liking just the fur and the feathers and started looking at the proper things with the exoskeletons. Now, I've, I've always been an outdoor sort of person and I love ecology and the environment and how things interact. Plus, I'm really quite nosy and slightly lazy so I spent a lot of time as a child just falling out of trees and looking at the insects and it was like really like this huge community going on under our nose and I didn't realize you could be an entomologist when I was little and I kind of gradually just bumbled my way through gradually honing and honing and honing um, so my undergraduate was biology but environmental biology and I was really lucky to have a lecturer who was he was a parasitic specialist, so parasitic uh, wasps mainly, but he also did flies. And he was great because he would, he would tell me all about the more fun sides of nature, the, the maiming and the biting and the, the parasitizing and all those good fun things that every female loves. And then uh, my PhD was wetland entomology and I was looking at all sorts of insects. Um, but first real taste of the Natural History Museum, thanks to that PhD, because my supervisors, one was an arthropod specialist and one was a, a soil specialist, and I was looking at a wetland, uh, so canopy specialist, and one was a wetland spe soil specialist, and I was looking at a wetland. So they were great, but pretty useless in some of the insects I was dealing with. So they said, go ask the Natural History Museum. And I was like, eh? Because I didn't realise... <laughs> Um, this is how this is a time before the internet as well, I remember. And I didn't realize that there was 300 scientists behind us, the scenes or a collection of 80, 80 million specimens. And they let me come in and I was like, oh, I do like this. This is rather special. And uh, then I did some more work on community. I then worked with beetles for a time. I worked with ants for a time. But and they were good. But I still wasn't quite feeling 100% happy. And then flies came along and basically smacked me around the head properly. And I realised that actually I didn't need to look further because flies do everything, are everywhere and are fabulous and get up to all sorts of naughtiness and morphologically are extremely variable. That that was it. I couldn't turn back. Yeah, I've got to oh. admit there are some pretty... Um pretty funky looking groups of, of arthropods my favorite's got to be uh scorpion flies just the, the look of them yeah but they're not a fly i i know <laughs> <laughs> i get tagged in everything again dragonflies yeah they're good but they're not a fly scorpion flies, yeah they're good but they're not a fly <laughs> well we do have uh drew has got a definite definite fly uh, related question yeah. Because unfortunately, a... is, is not as much of an insect fan. But I, I, uh, I hey, I, I don't want I don't want to go out there that I don't like insects because I do. That's gonna say, uh, mate. You, you, no. you <laughs> I mean, you obviously <laughs> like chocolate, cheese, tea. This is true. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. 
you exactly. gotta thank the flies for all of that lot yes and i, I mean yeah as uh, it was uh phil barber said to us on on this podcast as well he's a uh, also very keen on his invertebrates as well he often when he talks to people about them he often asks people what their favorite animal is and when they tell him he says well without invertebrates that animal wouldn't even be here yeah. so yeah indeed um but yes i do have a question regarding horse flies in particular so erica could you tell or could you give us a reason to like horse flies um they've got nipples on their eyes oh i mean there we go <laughs> sensible suggestion than that um so horse flies are an amazing group of um chunky flies and they're absolutely beautiful and the nipples and the eyes are clear that up straight away they they you in when they're alive you see them often with these bands with these amazing reflective patterns and this is all caused by the refraction of a light as it hits the omatidia, the individual eye facets, the individual photo units that make up the eyes. And these nipples are all slightly different, which when the light is reflected back, you get these patterns, you observe these patterns. Because they are really good at trying to find, if they're the female, a, a blood source, or if they're a male, a female. Honestly, all males care about is the opposite sex, and all the females care about is food. But that is fine. Now, it is fine because only the females are blood feeders. All the males are vegetarian and therefore exceptionally good pollinators. Now, they are really good pollinators in certain areas, such as South Africa. Have you been to the Cape in South Africa? Uh, I actually have. And, And you know how amazing the flora is. Oh yeah, it's well. Yeah, it's very, very particular as well. Um, yes, yeah. funny. Finbox, uh, fin, fin isn't it? That's yeah, that. exactly. Because yeah. there's a lot of flies that have co-evolved with that flora. Oh. Now these flies, these horse flies, have got exceptionally long mouth parts. So they have co-evolved with a lot of these really long tube, really long stemmed plants, and they, they they're called the falochi, um horse flies and what's amazing is that she's got these mouth parts she's got basically six mouth parts and she divides her blood feeding mouth parts separately from her nectar feeding mouth parts so she's really really important she only needs a little bit of blood when she's going through egg development but the rest of the time she's helping save the biodiversity of the planet so horse flies very good well plus 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 they're highly venomous, which is really quite cool. They're part of the neglected venomics group. So we're only just figuring out what they're doing. In fact, there's some horsefly larvae in America that were recorded basically eating frogs. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. Thanks. So, uh, they, they, there was a lovely, lovely uh, paper of this BBC reporter who was really confused about why these frogs were stuck in the mud. And he tried to pull one up and there was force. And he realised that something was was pulling on it. So he had the little tug of war within a, within the maggot of a tobacco or a horsefly pulling one way and him pulling the other. And then he did something very unethical and went and got more frogs to feed them to the horsefly larvae. <laughs> but, you know, that was good. But again, these venoms are novel venoms. They're new venoms. They could be really interesting when it comes to medicine. Hmm. That oh. I, I've got to admit, that's uh, that sold me even more on them. I've uh, 
they're, they're probably the only group of flies that I've I've thought of as being somewhat not a pest, but that's certainly they, their bite's not great. Well, but, they uh, they don't. Bite I, I'm very you. sold on them. <laughs> They don't bite you. They've got amazing mandibles. They slice your flesh and then lap at the pooling blood, which is quite extraordinary because it's a quite a novel way of feeding for a fly. Just in case you were curious about that. <laughs> no, that's, I've got to admit that's absolutely it's disgusting, <laughs> fascinating, disgusting. It is. I mean, which is exactly the nipples on the eyes, sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> I had a feeling the nipples on the eyes would get you. I, really, yeah. I was sold on the first sentence. I know. Well, um, my I, I had to get some um, eyes imaged, and my imaging um, suite at the museum were like, "I'm sorry, you want what?" And I was like, "I need some nipples being scanned, if that's okay." And they're like, "Oh, Erica, what are you up to now?" And I'm like, "No, it's science. It's science." Brilliant. Um, so, some of the um, the questions that we've had come in from uh, some of our listeners. Uh, we've got Izzy and Florence, aged eleven and eight. Uh, and they wanted to know what the biggest fly to ever live are, that uh, live is, sorry, or are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, how many eyes do flies have? Um, ah. Why do they have so many eyes? Right. Well, okay. The biggest flies, the most current one is Gyromyus heros or something like that. Um, it's either a mydid, a pentatamid which are called timber flies, which none of these we get, sadly, in the UK. Mm. Um, and they are huge beasts. Now, imagine a horsefly, but maybe three times, four times the size. You can get them that are like eight centimetres long. You know, they are, that's quite big. They look, um, and they're really chunky, really. I can show you some photos of me holding on to some of them in the collection. They're big, big things. But they're vegetarian. And with with some of them, uh, with the pentatamids, the timber flies, they may even not be feeding as an adult. It's a really short stage, maybe about three weeks. We're a bit iffy in our information about them. So they take five years, some of them, to develop as larvae because they are eating rotten wood, which is really nutritiously, you know, poor when yeah. it comes to getting anything. So they look vicious. They look amazing. But they're wimp. <laughs> and as for eyes right well so you've got the two not all some flies are basically blind as well there's some flies that live in caves which are are so blind that they have really hairy bodies and some of there's one that's a true troglobon flying troglobon it's got wings but it just flies around its wings and its body are so hairy it uses the hairs to tell them what's going on now there's the adult stage and the larval stage i'm gonna leave the larval stage for the second bit because there's some really crazy wonderful stuff going on with larval eyes <laughs> but the adults if they have the big eyes which are the compound eyes the two big ones you see and they are made up of the omatidia these photo units now we think the maximum they can have is about six thousand, but we we don't know now that's not a lot like dragonflies have about thirty-two thousand, but eyes of flies are unique amongst all insects in that within those individual photo units there's the rhabdome there's the photo sensors with cell used in every other insect but no not flies it is separated back into its component seven eight 
component cells. So as you go down this tube, this photo unit, it takes images at different points. So then it builds a better composite. So now this 6,000 individual photo units is now magnified by seven times. So it doesn't need to have as many of these photo units as the dragonfly, but it's still very good at seeing what's going on. Really accurate. So you've got those eyes. And those. what's really cool is some of the males have love spots at the front. They've got really enlarged bits, um, eye units <laughs> to look for the ladies. Flies, it's all about flirting. I and like on, it. I know. <laughs> That's very, very. And then on the top, you have the ocelli, the simple eyes, and they may have these, they may not, depending on which groups, and they can have up to three there. And then we've got some crazy eyes that we didn't even know about, the bullwig's eyes, which are kind of fused into the back of the, uh, the large eyes. We've only just realised this in the last 20 years. And these, we think, are a a throwback from the stomata, the larval eyes that have been basically absorbed back into the head when the larvae uh, pupated and have now re-emerged in the adult in a different area, which is all a bit funky. So you've got all of that going on. So you can have no eyes, seven eyes, how many thousands of things going on. Now the larvae themselves, they have got something else going on. A lot of their skin is able to be, they are, is photosensitive. So a maggot, for example, they've realised this, that if its bottom is sticking out, it can detect sunlight. So it knows to move its bottom into a shaded area to protect it. <laughs> so, exactly. So it's not just the head region that has what we traditionally think is where all the, um, you know, the sensory apparatus is. Down its body, it's got further sensory apparatus to make sure it doesn't get attacked when its head is eating something and its bottom sticking in the air. So that is quite cool. It's seeing through its bottom. I'm yeah, nice. Loving that. Well, it? you know, yeah. many people talk through theirs. Uh, well, that's true. Well, sure. Guys <laughs> generally see and breathe, so that's quite fun. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, uh, Drew, I think you've got our next question. Yeah, so we've got another question uh, from Erin uh, Kiernan, who wanted to know uh, if a fly expert is anti-spider um, and if you're furious when you see fly spray and fly strips in the shops. Fly strips, I think, are disgusting. You're yeah, basically starving an animal to death. Mm. Yeah. I really don't like that. Those fly swap bats as well, you can go, oh, let's all go kill animals. It's like, hold on a minute, you are... There is... I understand people's needs to protect their food from spoiling and things like that. But when we're just having things like that kill in a really quite inhumane fashion, I'm not happy with it. And, in, you know, insect sprays and things like that, I, they are non-discriminative. You could be spraying loads of things. We don't yeah. know how long these chemicals are going to be still uh, residual in the environment. They can get into our soils. What do you think is going to happen then? All of these sorts of things. I don't like them. Yeah. spiders I love now yeah. um, I do if I didn't like the flies so much I'd probably be into spiders but there are a group of flies that eat the insides out of spiders so I mean what's not to love and <laughs> um, there's three species in the UK and they just are amazing looking flies but their larvae are quite active in their first stage and they will run up the legs of spiders 
and this is a maggot with no legs running after a top predator with four <laughs> pairs of legs. So there's quite a high attrition rate of these larvae, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then they will bury inside the abdomen of a spider and they've got a primitive lung there. And if the spider is immature, what they do is they kind of like snorkel on to the lung and then fall asleep till the spider matures and then they start consuming it again, which is an amazing piece of evolution. That's, yeah. Uh, as a spider fan, that's uh, that's quite a horrific way to go. But oh my god, fantastic so evolution uh, adaptation there. Absolutely, and there's some that live in tarantulas, and they are absolutely amazing, beautiful metallic adults. Again, really important pollinators. A lot of them because they've got really long mouth parts. So everything about these spiders, these flies, are great. Eating the inside out of spiders, pollinating off plants. <laughs> Right. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so the, the other, or the, the final one that we had from our listeners was uh, from Chris Long, uh, and he wants to know if all flies lay eggs that become maggots, and do any give birth to live young? Yes, yes, no, yes. So um, <laughs> not all of them uh, need to lay eggs. Um, some of them do give birth to live young. The entire family, so there's ones that will always do it. And the entire group, Hippobosoidea, which probably now is just going to be the family Hippobosoidea, Hippobosidae. It used to be four families. So it was Tetsi, those flies, Hippobosids, which are bird flies, Nycterobids, Strebs, which are the bat flies. Really cool. Mm. Really weird looking creatures. Disturbing looking (laughs) flies in my mind. (laughs) <laughs> I love them so much. <laughs> um, and just because their ecology is so cool. I mean, they give birth to live young. So she has lactating glands. So she feeds the milk to her larvae internally, which is something we generally only associate with mammals. And these mm. flies are just like, do you know what? We can do whatever we like. We've seen your blueprint of what a fly should look like, and we're laughing at it. <laughs> so these are... Um, always give birth to live young a tetsi like if you generally look at a female tetsi who's pregnant and we can use that word i think it's appropriate mm-hmm. she she <laughs> such as like 40 percent of her body weight is child is larvae can you imagine walking around with something so enormous in you and just see the pictures of her giving birth to this thing it is it is eye-watering it is genuinely like the length this mother goes to is something I would never, ever do. <laughs> um, but then there's some others which can fluctuate between eggs and larvae, depending on the situation. Because lots of animals that um, utilise temporary food sources have to quickly get in there fast. Mm. So, for example, a dead body. It's a really nutritious food source. And so a lot of the animals that feed on that, such as some of the flesh flies and the blue bottles they will they will go through um they will ignore the, the egg stage and they will quickly develop lay a, a larvae to be able to utilize that food source quickly so they will have some ready in their system in fact there's ridiculous um, figures that they dissected one out and she had like thousands of larvae in her all up her ovaries and things like that can you imagine that just All these wriggling children inside you. Spring-loaded, <laughs> ready to go the moment she it's, finds a dead body. Yeah, 
basically, she's got a submachine gun as an poster and that's oh, she's off there. She's firing away. It's a, <laughs> they're amazing machines, ready to pounce. I, I, you know what? I think there should be, uh, th- there should be far more sort of uh, praise sung about, uh, well, just just the ability to uh, lay vast quantities of young for these these flies. Yeah, oh, and then. So some of them, that so the, the ones that kill spiders and these ones, they can lay hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. Whereas those ones that give birth to live young, she, she will have four or five in her lifetime. She's like, I'm not, I'm not going through that again. <laughs> <laughs> Just the once, yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's me done, tick. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've got, well, some of the, the other questions that we've got for you is, what is your favourite species of flight? My personal favorite is um well as a group i suppose is, is the hoverflies i've become fascinated with trying to take photos of those every every conceivable species i've tried to take photos of which are a, a nightmare trying to take a photo of something that zips away in a second but um what's your favorite uh group of uh, it's like asking you what your favorite child is <laughs> um so i have a soft spot for the robber flies the acylids Mm. Um, highly venomous, great predators, and so stylish with their moustaches and and sleek apparatus. And um, so every year this time of year, Acillus crabroniformis, and I've only been able to see it two times. Well, in the last two years, but it is a beautiful British beast, and it is it's, it's huge, it's huge, and it is just formidable everything about it it's great and these can take down dragonflies and things like that in fact there's a species in america that takes out hummingbirds <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't laugh but can you imagine <laughs> oh look at the pretty hummingbirds oh look at the pretty birds yep. oh my god what is that <laughs> um, fly comes along and destroys it just shreds it in front of their very nose so i i do like a a, a robber fly but then i have again the bee flies Ah, oh, they're very pretty. Mm. I mean, come on. They are like our gateway fly. Uh, you, you see a bee fly and everyone's like, oh, is that really a fly? And you're like, yeah, come, come. And and then I will gross them out with other facts. But they are, you know, fluffy flying narwhals. They're adorable creatures. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they parasitize baby bees and, and probably eat them alive. It's just one of the many, many interesting facets of nature. <laughs> Yes, that's very true. Drew, do you do you yeah. have a favourite fly? Just quickly, or <laughs> uh, well, at, at the risk of sounding uh, a bit of a cop out, I also you've already said hoverflies, but I also really, really have been very keen on hovers on uh, watching hoverflies recently. Hoverflies yeah, are they are amazing, and they're doing some amazing research about their migrations mm. now, and that they are migrating um, from North Africa. From across the Pyrenees, they they're going from across Turkey to end up in the UK. Wow! So, yeah, everyone's uh-huh. like, "Oh, the birds!" And I'm like, "The birds! Look at these tiny little creatures!" <laughs> and there's something between was it 500 million and four billion turn up in the UK every year, and just two species of them: the marmalade hoverfly, Epicephalus baltiates, and one of the Upoids. Those two species of fly. Do the equivalent of the honeybees in the UK, mm. you know, yeah. and still they get none of the credit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that's that's one that's the reason why I like them. I think because yeah, they don't get and, that and credit that they deserve. 
Yeah, their their larvae as well aren't doing what baby honeybees are doing, which is nothing. Their larvae <laughs> in these two species are a fidophagus. So it's massive biological warfare against the aphids. Mm. So as well as pollinating our crops, they're helping look after them as well. So the use of these species is extraordinary. Mm. Well, that's oh. absolutely fantastic. And just two final questions. One would be... Uh, what would be your message to anyone, anyone out there who, well, basically is just looking at flies for the first time or, you know, uh, just sort of building an idea of, of their sort of view on nature? What's, what would be your message to possibly the entomologists of tomorrow? Oh, just just look. Um, you, you're saying like nowadays everyone's phones are like a, a, an amazing camera. And um, we're able to, I know our flies are a tad annoying, but you can take loads of photos and you might get one or two and then just find out about them. I'm running a, a little trap in my garden. I have a postage stamp in London and yet we're turning up new records because no one's been looking here before. So everybody, everybody, even your records on a really obvious uh, hoverfly actually helps us understand their distribution the population change the timings little bits that you might pick up on their behavior that we just haven't observed so you can all become a scientist really easily with the flies mm, fantastic mm. i gotta admit i i certainly want to try and do more records i'm i'm very lucky i'm i back onto a a wood so we do get an awful lot of insects coming into the garden yeah um, i do try and take as many as many pictures and as many records as as uh, is possible, but uh, I think I'd need to spend a, a day or two just sitting there watching things. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's do it for work. I, I have to sit here and take photos of flies. Honestly, I'm saving the planet. It is the best <laughs> and most easy way of saving the planet. And then just go online, Twitter. There's a huge community of people who are like, that's a so-and-so. And, uh, you know, everyone is ready to help because everyone wants to save we want to save our planet we quite like it and you you can do so by doing this yes well drew you've got our our final question yes uh so erica if people did want to find out more about flies where can they find you where can they find out more well conveniently enough there's a charity in the uk called the dipters forum um and it is amazing there's loads of really active members there is over 30 recording schemes. In fact, there's only 75 insect recording schemes in the UK, and over 30 of them are flies. We're obsessed okay. by figuring out what's going on. Um, you can join. It's really cheap membership, really cheap. And there's loads of training. We go on field work. We've just all been down to Cornwall, run around like idiots, um, collecting and identifying and recording what species were there. And it, it's, it's just a really nice community. Hmm. Oh, I've got to admit that makes me interested. I certainly wouldn't mind joining. Yeah, that made and, um, and for students, we give discounts for the courses. Instead, some students come free. Uh, we give some students uh, free trips on these places. There's all sorts of, and we will go into universities to give introductory um, workshops on flies and hoverflies, etc. It's really worth it. Hmm. Oh, well brings me to basically just say a massive thank you for coming on the podcast um, yeah huge thank you really good all right um, about and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i know it, it, it's uh, something that well it, it's something i was i was hoping we'd be able to get someone with the enthusiasm that you have for flies yes. uh, coming on because it is 
it's a group that really does tend to get overlooked by an awful lot of people. I know, I know. I just don't understand that. why because because they really are important, mm. really important. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't like chocolate, but most of you people do. And you'd say goodbye to chocolate straight away if you say goodbye to flies. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, there you go. Everyone hopefully should be a little bit more turned on to flies now and, and want to get out there and at least look at them a bit more and maybe not kill mm. them. Um, certainly don't kill them. Um, no, but uh, yes, a massive thank you for, for coming on the podcast, Derica. Um, it has been absolutely fantastic. It really thank has. you very much. Thank you. Right. Well, that was uh, our fantastic interview there. So a big thank you to, uh, to Dr. Erica there for joining us uh, this week. And uh, yeah, if you, uh, dear listener, want to get in touch and say how much you either enjoyed that um, or <laughs> say how much that you have now been converted to liking various different kinds of fly, um, yes. then uh, feel free to get in touch with us either by email uh, at thenathistorycupboard at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and on Facebook where we share all of our articles and we'll hopefully be sharing all the different articles that we've been talking about this week from tortoises biting the heads off birds <laughs> to alligators failing to eat keepers to uh, to dinosaurs and all the things like that. So you can find them uh, usually on our Facebook or our Twitter page as well. And our Twitter handle is at NH Cupboard, um, where you can uh, you can get in contact with us as well. And if you like what you've heard, uh, remember, you can leave us a review, subscribe, all that sort of good stuff. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell the flies as well. Mm. Hopefully go and tell somebody else how much you uh, you liked it and uh, whatever podcasting service you are listening to us on. So that only brings me to say a big thank you to uh, my co-host, Drew. Thank you very much for, uh, for coming along for this ride wi- uh, wild ride this week. This wild ride of flies, yes. Yep. Well, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, a big thank you to you at home for listening as well. So uh, we will see you next time here in the Natural History Cupboard. Bye. Buzz. 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 No more mutants. Thank you.